All right, well, this morning, I titled the message Going, but I, I added a little parenthesis there that I'm dedicating this message in the memory of Ray Pratt's, um, a, a man who spent his life going. You know, I mean, some of you guys who are NFL football fans, you know, you, this year was a 100-year anniversary of the NFL, so they've been putting together the 100-year team for the NFL. Uh, Ray would be on my 100-year team, uh, just as an individual who lived life, especially in this category. He lived and modeled and was contagious in living a life that was a going life. In all the ways that I'm going to highlight going today. As a matter of fact, I stare at his life and, and the demeanor that he had, the infectiousness that he had, the intentionality that he had, the sacrificing of time that he had, the, his willingness to get involved with people's lives, his passion to tell people about the gospel. In all those categories, I am inspired and challenged by his life. And so, uh, just so happened that this message is coming on the heels of, of Ray's going to be with the Lord uh, a week and a half or two weeks ago almost now. Uh, but he was an example of someone who was a goer. He was living a life on a mission for the sake of the gospel. Well, let me introduce this last part of our series here from your outline there. I, I stuck a to-do list in your outline there and it's a very simple one. And, and I hope it'll travel with you. Um, part of the reason that we were starting this series was because it was a new year. But more than that, it's a new decade. So if I could put something in your pocket that was just simple, that would go with you for the next decade, that you would emerge out the other side and say, hey, the, the, the decade of the 20s for me was a decade of coming and going. I hope we can all say that at the end of this decade. It was a decade filled with coming and going. Right? And the verses that we're, we're going to look at today just are a further example from Matthew. But if you were to arrange your life and make a priority out of whatever it is you're going to do in your life in this coming year and then in this, into this coming decade. Uh, that's a pretty good list right there in your outline there. Coming to Jesus, going on his mission, and then everything else after that. And by the way, the coming and the going dimensions that are here are not exclusive of the everything else. They're, they're interwoven into the everything else. This is not like you're making a decision. It's like, okay, so I'm going to come to Jesus and go on his mission in place of like having a job and being a parent. And you know, No, no, they're all interwoven together. But, but just because the Bible interwo- you know, puts them together for us doesn't mean we're actually living that way as we go about doing life. Right, so we can do life without coming to Jesus. And we can do life without going on a mission. You can even do categories of your life in a way that kind of look like it's, it smells a little bit like Christianity. It's got moral values to it. It's got things you wouldn't do and, and you avoid practices in them and your parenting and your relating to people and how you do work. Right, you understand? You can go to work and have rubbed off on you the influence of God. You're an honest employee. Well, that's good. That's good. And in a way, you're bringing something of the character of God into that setting. But you can do that. You can go to work every day and never come to Jesus in your life. 
You can go to work every day and never go with the gospel in your life. Because at some point, the gospel isn't just honesty. There's lots of honest people all over the place. They're honest for all kinds of reasons. But they're not there going with the gospel on their mission. Right, so we can do a lot of life without these two things being at the top of our to-do list. And I, and I want that to, to be influential for us. That we're going to go through this next decade coming and going. Right, here's our, our verses. Matthew 11, verse 27. You guys should have this memorized by now. All things have been handed over to me. Right, That's an important phrase. I'm going to be tempted to preach these, all these messages again. <laughs> Hold on to that. They've all been handed to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Right, so we've spent most of our time, because I felt like this was the verse God really wanted us to spend a great deal of time in to start this decade. Was with a matter of incredible importance that you and I live a life that comes to Jesus. You just can't get busy doing life. You just even can't get, just get busy doing Christian life. This is a massive warning for some of us. Who are way too busy in categories that neglect this one invitation. Right? I mean, one of my responsibilities in, in the church here and in the, the region that we're a part of is to care for the pastors who lead the churches in our region. And, you know, pastors can get very, very busy with the going dimension of their lives and can get very, very poor in the coming to Jesus dimension of their lives. And that can be true of any one of us. We, we need... To come to be near to God. We need to get underneath his authority. Unbolt all the commitments we've made. And all the plans that we've made. And hold them open handedly before God. And say God I'm I'm coming to you. My life belongs to you. You you have all the authority over who I am. And and I'm, I'm coming to learn. I'm coming to be around you. I'm coming to be in your presence. Without chasing this rabbit too far, this is the starting place. This is where everything about the mission that you're on starts with being seasoned by the real presence of Jesus in your life. That that changes everything about us. It, It changes our interest. It changes our passion. It changes our humility. It touches everything about us. So you can go on a mission and be the most obnoxious person in the room. And it'll give away the fact that I bet you hadn't been with Jesus in a while. You're just obnoxious. The way you share the gospel is obnoxious. The way you're married is obnoxious. The way you parent your children is obnoxious. I mean, everything's about you. It's obnoxious. But you're doing. I'm doing. You know what will shave the edges off that doing? Just get in the presence of Jesus. Get around him in such a way that you actually taste and see who he is and what he's like. It has an impact on us. So you can't skip this step, right? Can't be busy Christian running off, doing, going, doing, going, but you haven't been around Jesus, right? So this is critical, but this is not all we do, right? Jesus is going to say this as he is departing and being exalted back to heaven. 
Jesus came, Matthew 28, verse 18, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus starts both these statements the same way? Right, what is he, why is he doing that? I think one of the reasons why he's doing that is to make sure you and I understand uh, this works. I'm calling you to something. Oh, and by the way, I have all authority. What I'm telling you to do works. Can, can I give you rest? I can, because everything is in my hands. Can we go with the gospel into the world and have an impact? The world doesn't seem interested. The world doesn't care. The, the world's into its own thing. The world's snubbing religion, doesn't want to hear anything more. Go, because everything is under my authority. Right, so that's the advertisement of Jesus. To go, because this works. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, did you notice these two verses together? There is this powerful presentation of Jesus. Come to me and find rest, right? So we have this word rest here. And then we have this word go. So there, there is resting and there is going. There is rest and there is going and doing. How many, how many of you guys know that these words don't hate each other in the Bible? And, and that's much of what I want to dig into today for us. Because sometimes we pit these words against each other. Is though rest requires not doing. Rest needs not going. Rest needs means dial it back. Don't be putting any weight or expectations or responsibility on you. But but that's not how it gets presented to us. Right? There is a rest that involves going and doing. They they get along with each other. And so, can I just encourage you, if you have two words that you're not going to jettison at all costs in your life, no matter who you are here today, whether you're a pastor, a parent, whether you're a senior citizen or a student, no matter what phase of life that you're in, that the priority before anything else becomes a priority in your life, coming to Jesus and going on his mission are the two things that you figure out doing before you do anything else in your life, before you prioritize anything else in your life, before you think anything else is important. Coming to Jesus and going on his mission. All right, let's talk about this whole aspect of going and doing because the Bible is shifting us into a category of activity. And and that requires a little bit of careful paying attention here. I call this section, Man and His Great Task. And unfortunately today, uh, modern man lives in perpetual restlessness, right? We are a restless people, right? We talked about this and we've talked about it lots of times from the pulpit. You bump into most folks, most people have something to say about how busy they are, how much the pace of life is hard to keep up with, right? I wrote this in your outline, today, so many people feel exhausted they're not looking for more to do they're desperately shopping for some downtime or a chance to get away right now does that at all describe how you're feeling do you feel exhausted 
Do you feel like I, I, just, I just need some downtime? I, just, I, I just need to change the pace of this. I got to do something different, get a break. Right? That's, you're not alone. You're not alone in that. Where's some of that coming from? Be careful where you think it's coming from. And let me just say this right up front because I know some of us feel like it's coming from the church. And I've heard that a bit. I've heard people say that. You know, it feels like there's, there's so much activity, there's so much to do, etc. Um, I, I, w- I would have to say, I mean, if you really do some homework on this, and maybe this is catching you blindsided, but you do need to do some homework on it to, to see. Is it, is it really coming from the church for you? you know, if you surveyed your last couple of weeks, would you just find one meeting after another that you were in? It just ate up your calendar. It's like, man, I don't have any time left over. I mean, I'm just in church meetings, after church meetings, after church meetings. Um, all right, those of you who have been saved for 20, 30 years, you will know this because you'll fo- have followed the trend. 20 and 30 years ago, churches did at probably, I could say, at least twice as many meetings as they do today. At least twice as many. So the way we do life has changed so much, but we can still play old tapes in our head. It's like, oh, I'm just worn out. We've got another meeting, got a prayer meeting Wednesday night. Another thing to feel obligated to do. Can I just tell you, if you'll go back and check your calendar, you'll probably be shocked that you're really not that busy with the church and you missed a lot of the meetings that were on the calendar that were just announced but you were not planning on being there anyway, so you really didn't pick that up. So in reality, it didn't busy your life up. But life is very busy, very busy for all of us. And we take you behind the scenes. Uh, A man named John Mark Comer said this, thought very insightful, because this really does describe our culture. It's on a podcast I heard recently. He said, philosopher Jung Johan calls human beings entrepreneurs of themselves. And he writes about how we've moved from a disciplinary society to an achievement society. Meaning, 100 to 200 years ago, we were a disciplinary society which was governed by no. The word no. Right? Years ago, no. This is what you can't do based on your gender or ethnicity or where you live or your class. Taken to the extreme, it produces all sorts of neurosis, right? So you follow history, right? You'll remember, if you go back 100, go back 200 years, there's lots of people who can't do a lot of things, won't be given the opportunity to do a lot of things. The operative word in their life is no. You don't get to do that because you're not the right group who gets to do that. Your gender is wrong. You don't get to do that. Your race is wrong. You don't get to do that. Stay in your lane. No. That's how society felt coming into the current day. But, he says, we live literally in the opposite. What he calls an achievement society, which is governed by yes. You can do pretty much anything you want to do. Pretty much anything you want to be. As long as it doesn't harm other people. And that's exhausting. And it's leading to burnout and anxiety, and depression. He writes about how the rise in depression grows in tandem with the rise of the achievement culture. In a culture that says that 
Everything is possible, right? You have more options in your life today than anybody's ever had in human history in every category of your life. Chronically, our culture tells us you can do anything. You can have anything. Anything and everything is possible. He says the depressed person is tired of having to become himself. And the anxiety of, quote, what if I pick the wrong self to become, right? And this is, you know, you got to be just old enough to hear this because this kind of crept its way into your language as a parent. You can be anything you want to be, right? You probably told your children, you can be anything you want to be. Okay, now I got to pick, well, who am I going to be? Right? Because if I was being told no, 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 those are the two yeses for you. No, 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 no. Okay, I got two choices. I'm not going to be too worn out. There's not a whole lot I can be. I'll be one of those. But today, you can be anything. Oh my gosh, talk about decision-making paralysis. I hate options like that, right? You know, I hate when people ask me these questions. If you could do anything. Oh, jeez. Can you just let me pick between two? Right? The pressure that's on, right? He says, what if I pick the wrong self to become? I could be anything. What if I don't find my inner self? What if I don't find my inner truth? And this is giving way to a, what he called a doping society as we're just escaping into drugs and alcohol and Netflix and work and social media to just medicate against the pain. Because you can be and do anything. And then you actually take that up and you try to go do it. And it's just exhausting. Right? When, when the sky is the limit. And glass ceilings are meant to be broken. Right? I mean, you used to know there was a glass ceiling. And you know. But now the glass ceiling is broke. Yes. There's more opportunities for me. Right? I mean, we, we, we bump into these phrases that make sense to us. And we have an attitude about them. Don't tell me what I can't do. I mean, how many people have you heard say that? Right? Why, do they, why do we get their attitude? Because it's wrong to say no, you idiot. We're not a disciplinary society anymore. We're an achievement society. You can do anything. Don't tell me what I can't do. Because that's just inviting me to do it. That's what it's wanting me to do. Um, all right, well, a, massive, a massive revelation that comes from here. It does not come from something you're reading on social media. It comes from here. You are a creature. You are not the infinite creator. You are a creature. You have boundaries. You have limitations. At some point, the Bible calls you to things like self-control. The Bible, for your own good, introduces the word no. God having a will for your life means yes in some categories and no in others. Not even no because that's wrong. That's morally wrong. No because that's just not what God has for you. Because you're busy saying yes to something else. And you're a finite creature. Can I I tell you that there is a, a reality, this sounds hokey, but there's a reality that you were born into this world and God put a limited number of yeses in your pocket. Use them carefully. Because you will run out. 
So when life comes to you and you say yes to that, yes to that, yes, 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 yes. Bring it on. I can do anything. Um, But you can't. When I say this stuff, I get so unpopular because I don't sound like anything you're hearing out there. For me to stand up and say, can I just tell everybody here the sky is not the limit? That doesn't sound like, you know, it's like you can't sell a book saying that, Keith. Well, I'm not, I'm not selling books, so that works for me. The sky is not your limit. There's a sovereign God who is your limit. You are wired by God for a purpose to be fulfilled by him. That will create limits in your life. I mean, just our topic today. If you're going to go into all the world and make disciples, you know there's some places you're not going to go as a result of that. And if you try to go to all of them, because you're a limited creature and you can't do everything, you're going to end up neglecting doing some things and getting very frustrated trying to do too much. Right, so here's what's creeped into our, our existence. I think I wrote this in your outline. Exhausted, right? He uses that word. This is exhausting. Uh, because we bought into this idea that everything is possible. And we just keep on saying yes. I think I wrote this in your outline. As you cross the terrain of 2020, you're going to hear the unending cheer of more, more, more. That's the, the sound in the land. And you may end up building a life that is hard to maintain. Hard to afford and exhausting to live in. And then you'll be left with trying to figure out why you are anxious and irritable, always in a hurry and depressed. Be very careful that you, that you, that you don't come to a church service that says, Great. Now I'm going to do alpha door hangers and I'm going to sit at an alpha table like I didn't have enough to do. Can you survey your life carefully. You may find that, that what you have built has got very little to do with the churchy stuff of life. And maybe there's a few here who overbuilt in that category, but for the most part, we've built other things. We just feel the need to fill our lives with so much other stuff that our own lives are exhausting to live and weighty, hard to afford, and requiring us to work long hours, crazy hours. Did I write this in your outline? This has taken a toll on various activities of serving. Right? Serving. Christians who feel worn out and exhausted aren't looking for more to do. As a matter of fact, they don't like to hear messages on doing at all. They prefer messages on being. We crave teaching and theology that features the indicative statements of Scripture and have developed an aversion for the imperative statements of Scripture. Right, you know the difference between those? And the Bible's got this wonderful voice of being and doing and being and doing on all the pages of it. Being is, it's like a state of being, right? You, you, you don't do to be. God does the doing in these categories, right? So you are justified. Well, what did you do? Huh? Nothing. You are righteous. Hey, what time did you wake up in the morning to get that done? Uh, slept in. Uh, right, you've got all these categories that the Bible richly tells you about. You are forgiven. This is, these are states of being. The Bible's all over them. 
presenting them left and right and left and right. Now, if I'm exhausted with doing, I like to hear about those things, and I don't like you telling me about what I need to be doing. I don't like to be told to do because I'm already worn out, man. But Jesus' invitation to find rest was cloaked in doing. You had to come to him. You had to take a yoke on you. You have to learn from him, which is going to involve reading or something. I mean, you're going to be doing something. To live in the purpose of God that has rest built into it, you're going to be going into all the world with the gospel. It's not as though the Bible has, okay, there's a rest version of Christianity where you get to chill and just enjoy the goodness of God and worship and some good sound and music. And then there's the exhausting version of Christianity at the end of Matthew where you get to go. You go into all the world. Do you read the Bible that way? The the people who are following and relating to God live in this state of rest that involves doing stuff. It's not a problem theologically. It's part of who we are. But I will say this. The whole idea of works and activity needs to get rescued for us for some, some bad ideas. Right? In, in your outline there, I put a category called exhausted and allergic. Because I think we're both. I think we're exhausted when it comes to work and works. And I think we're allergic to work and works as well. Right? This is what I mean by that. In the last five to ten years, we have become exhausted by the idea of, of putting anything on us to do. Right? Because, like again, our, our lives don't have a lot of space in them. But in the previous 30 years, we were taught to be allergic to the word work and works. Right? And, and I was teaching and preaching during that time, so I'm pretty sure I contributed to this. But, but what, what, what Christianity was doing, 70s, 80s, 90s, and onward, it, it was trying to rescue a bad emphasis that people had given to Activity, to moral activity, to your responsibility, to human activity, right? So a lot of emphasis got put there, and theologically, rightly so, and needed, the pendulum swung in the other direction to say, hey, can we talk about and feature grace? So if you guys were in churches back then, you, you recognize there, there was quite often these statements of, you know, grace and legalism. You know, there, there was these fights going on. And so in that, if you grew up in that, when you heard the word works, it's a negative word. You just grew up with it thinking it's a negative word. It pollutes justification. It's smuggled into our understanding of salvation. Keep works away. It's by grace, brother. It's about grace. It's all about grace. And, and so we titled things that way. We said things that way. We taught the church eventually to become allergic to the word works. So if I stand in the pulpit today and I say works to you, there's something in you that's got to overcome whatever I'm about to say next. But when we open the scriptures, right, the scriptures, you know, are originally written. It's years later that we abuse them and then we have to fix what we've said. But the scriptures aren't having to fix themselves. So when you open the Bible up and you read the story of man... God created man. Did he give him anything to do? Did he call it work? 
He did. And, you know, it wasn't like, oh, oh, in Genesis, they're trying to rescue this from the teaching in Galatians. You know, it's kind of, oh, whoa, time out. Did you use the word work? Well, what do you mean by work? Do you mean like self-justifying work? Like the kind of work that makes you right with God kind of work? It's like, no, I just use the word work. Simmer down. Just relax a little bit. Just talk about human activity here. Not trying to get anybody saved. Right? Because that's, that's how we were taught to be allergic to this word. So, here's a primer on work. Let's fly through this quickly. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. How many, do you hear activity here? Now, for those of us that are married, this is very pleasant activity, but it's still activity nonetheless. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, that might be a little bit of a challenge on both ends, right? The bigger your family gets, the more headaches you get, the more challenges you get. And then you've got to subdue something. Right? So there's something here that needs to be corralled in and brought into a purpose. So, so this is activity. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And in Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. All right, this is before the fall. And how many of us may have been taught at some point that work was like the consequences of the fall? I mean, we kind of think that in some ways. No, no, no. The sweat of work, the difficulty and resistance of the fallen world to our work is part of the fall. But work is not part of the fall. Work is part of the purpose we were created for. Right? So it's not like God said, uh, let's put man and woman in the Garden of Eden, his and her hammocks, throw them in the hammock, they're done. There's no other instructions, just lay in the hammock, swing back and forth in the breeze, think thoughts about God, think about God, be with God. It's like, no, no, God put them in the garden, he gave them, he gave them a job, he gave them responsibilities. He said, you've got stuff to do in your life, get up and take care of it. Right? So work is not the problem. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, we revisit. God's going to spell some things out, right? There's not a spell out before Exodus chapter 20. This is the meeting with God at Mount Sinai. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. This is how this goes. God says in verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. All right, that's not a punishment. That's going back to the Garden of Eden. So you got, you got six days where you're going to be doing work. That's just how I've created you. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's with you. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Right. So in God's plan, doing and resting... Get along with each other. They, they go together. Or you can live in the purpose of God and be at rest. And then you can actually take a break from activity. And that's called a, kind of a different kind of rest. But it's still a related rest. And all these things coexist. Right? So there's nothing wrong with us doing. And then Ephesians chapter 2 picks this up in a New Testament way. And says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing, right? Not about you doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. But that's not all the Bible has to say about works. It just introduced you to the idea that there's not a person here, never will be a person, who can work their way into a right relationship with God. It doesn't exist. That's not even a possibility for anyone. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's not a curse word. Paul doesn't need to be corrected. When you meet him in heaven, don't pull him to the side and say, what on earth were you thinking? You said that we were created for good works? Well, yeah, I did. Which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Oh, that makes it even worse in my book. Should? Did you just say we should do something? Oh, there we go. I just feel under the weight of that. That verse is such a weight to me. The key to it not being a weight is tucked inside the verses that it's attached to. I have to understand something about the grace of God operating every moment of my existence that releases me from trying to work in such a way that work becomes an ungodly burden to me. But grace at work in my life does not create me in a hammock 24-7. There are works that I'm called to do. And I should do them. I'm going to fulfill a purpose God has made for me as a creature. I have been given responsibilities and work to do. So that's not a bad thing, right? It is an important thing. And I'm going to manifest the life of God in the world. That's what Adam and Eve were going to do. They were going to manifest God's image and they were image bearers in a certain way. And, and so when Jesus stands and says, go now into all the world and make disciples, he, he hasn't tweaked things very much. He just said, hey, be image bearers of me into all the world now and make followers of mine. Go and take the gospel, the good news, reveal who I am to all the world. Go and do that. And that's a responsibility every Christian has to go with the gospel. Now just pause on that just for a second because I remember that concept not existing for me before I was really a Christian. Not before I knew things about God and knew things about a Bible story of Jesus. I grew up doing those things. But there was a segment of my life that I, I didn't awaken on any day with a thought, what about the people who don't know Christ? I never thought about those people. What, what about telling somebody about the gospel? I never thought about telling anybody about the gospel. I never felt for one moment the sense of responsibility in my life to be a spokesperson for God that people would be reconciled to him. Before I was saved, that never entered my mind. Literally, I cannot recall ever thinking I should be doing anything with that. Now, I say that because you can go to church and be around this stuff. But if you don't have any inkling on the inside of you to share the gospel outside of, to go with the gospel elsewhere, 
Right now, dashboard lights should be going off right now for you. I'm not saying you're not afraid to do that. I'm not saying there's not some things you got to overcome to do that. But if you wake up day after day after day after day after day after year after year, and right now what I'm saying you you don't get, it's like I, I don't wake up with a sense that people need to be told the gospel. What about people being reconciled to God? If that doesn't bubble up in you, then maybe it's not in you. Maybe you really don't know Jesus. Right? Jesus lived this life with an inner compelling to make clear the gospel. And then the last thing he says to all of his disciples is, is all of you, now go and do what I did. You go into all the world and you make disciples. This is the mandate on your life. If you don't sense that in your heart, then maybe it's because it's not there. And the only way it could not be there is if the Holy Spirit is not there imparting that to you now, again i'm not talking anybody here is like well it's in me i'm just a, i'm just scared to death i don't know if, i don't know what to say i mean i try and it comes out awkward no, i'm not talking to you welcome to being a christian that's true for all of us but if it doesn't bubble up on the inside you might want to check god do i really know you are you inside of me living your life in a way that wants to tell the gospel to others John Frame, in his systematic theology, says, So, the church is a dynamic body in action. It is through the church that God's kingdom comes to all the ends of the earth. The church is not the church unless it is in action. That's an interesting thought. That is, in other words, unless it is in mission. But what is our mission? Well, the first is called the the cultural mandate is found in Genesis 1.28, what we just read. Then comes the second major divine mandate, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission is the application of the cultural mandate to a fallen human race. Adam and Eve, go be image bearers. Go, Go bring the image of God, fill the earth with his glory. You pick that up. The world has fallen now, right? From that first mandate, the world has fallen and now the world is hostile to God. Sin has cut man off from God. So when you pick that man up, mandate up from the garden and you set it down in Matthew chapter 28, now it sounds like this. Go be my image bearers into all the world with the message of the gospel of how this fallen humanity can be reconciled to God. Right? Adam and Eve didn't have to try and tell anything of creation how to be reconciled to God because nothing was broken off from God in that original mandate. But the mandate gets an adjustment when sin enters into the world. Now, go and tell people that they need to be reconciled to God and make disciples of all nations. A lot of that church in action, it's a good word, Church is not the church unless it is in action. It is doing stuff. Right? Uh, Worship of God is is an action. It's a responsibility, a passion for God, a love for God, a nearness to God. Learning is an action. That we as a church, we take up the action, we learn, we, we, we learn how to share the gospel, we learn how to defend the gospel, we learn who the God is who is in this gospel. Fellowship. Care for one another. Building of a community. That's an action. That's a responsibility that we take. Serving. Serving one another. These are actions that we take that that advance the gospel 
for the sake of this great mandate. But somehow, our understanding of rest and action have gotten at odds with each other. We crave a rest that's different than the rest God gives us. I put it in your outline there. We are created for works, for activity, for purpose, for accomplishing something, for building something, for advancing something, for participating in a great cause. That's what we're created for. There isn't this hostility between work and rest the way we may interpret it. Right? One guy, Judah Smith, in his book about rest, he speaks about the American culture, very helpful thought. He says, that's the attitude of the American culture often seems to take. Some of us think, I'll get a job because I need to have a job, but, but I'm going to work the job as hard as I can so that someday I can quit that job. Why? Because we think a responsibility-free environment will make us happier. Pause. Is that what you're working really hard to get? I just want to create a responsibility-free environment. Because if I could just have less to do, I would be happier. We assume that since work is hard, but vacation is fun, work itself is the problem. Responsibility is an intruder. Jobs are the enemy. We work hard so that someday we can retire and start to do what we actually enjoy. Yet the second element in the Bible's description of this original sin-free environment is that God had an assignment for Adam. He had a job. God created humans to bear responsibility. The Hebrew word translated work here can also be rendered serve. Serving makes your soul feel good. It makes you feel alive on the inside. Listen, your soul finds fulfillment, health, and life when you live beyond yourself. That's what rest is. Rest involves living beyond yourself. Responsibility is good for the soul. Sometimes we equate a lack of responsibility with living free. But that's not freedom. That's not how our souls operate. We need assignments. We need work. And we need activity. It's hard to say that in a culture where everybody feels exhausted. Because the exhaustion makes me feel like, no, Keith, I need less activity. Can you figure out a way for that? Well, that's probably true in some way. I just need to be very wise about where I dial it back. But I can't improve on it. I love this. This is, gonna be, this is my definition for going, right? Get this umbrella sense of going. Your soul finds fulfillment, health, and life when you live beyond yourself. All right, that's a good definition for me to start with, for the word going. When is it that I'm going? When you get beyond yourself, you are going. In one sense of the word. Now, you may not necessarily be going with the gospel, but you may be. But the one thing that's necessary if you're ever going to go anywhere for the sake of the mission is you're going to have to be willing to go beyond yourself. You, you cannot... Over-centralize everything about your existence being about you, how you feel, what you enjoy, what you prefer, 
When does it get to be more about me? Why does it have to be about, right? These these are things that I kind of draw a circle around my shoes and I say, okay, this this is what matters. Everything inside this space, that's that's where I'm spending myself. Listen, you're not going until you get beyond that space. That's going. So I'm going to give you a few examples here of going. We'll just fly through these that are in your outline there. I just want to stir up some thoughts. You know, I've dedicated this message to, to Ray Pratt's. Um, and as you, as you work through these thoughts with me real quick, Ray was a goer. Ray lived his life going beyond the edges of himself. Finding ways to get involved with people. And, and any of you guys who knew Ray, you, you felt his care. It was, it was unrushed. It was engaging. Okay, now you understand, you know, the reason why many of us feel rushed when we're with, because I got other stuff to do. Uh, you're going to be done. You can, can you just tell me that real quick? I got, I got stuff to do. I mean, inside of my circle, there's a lot going on. Can you hurry up with your problem? Right? And that's how a lot of us feel when we interact. Because we do. We have these large lives and we've got so much and there's so much rushing taking place and we're impatient, we're irritated. Right? I mean, parents, we're great at this. Right? We've got so much going on. Our kids are just giant irritations constantly because they require us to go beyond ourselves. And I've got so much going on in this little circle. I mean, it's piled up. I'm like the Empire State Building. I have a little bitty footprint, but it goes way high. And my life is so full of activity and my kids have come to interact with me. It's like, ah, ah, what? You know, it's like, I don't have space for you. Um, You never felt that way with Ray. You felt like the guy was just, he's just there for you. What do you need? And then he'd seek you out. He'd get involved in things that were going on in your life. I mean, they were there, you know, and this is part of the life of our church. There are people whose needs come into our midst Ray was one of the guys we'd call. Ray, could you help out with this person? Yeah, man. He'd go meet with them. He'd help them. He'd arrange things for them. He'd get involved physically. There's just a sense of going in these places. Now, Ray never went anywhere without finding an opportunity for the gospel. Those of you guys who were here at Ray's funeral, this place was packed. Wall-to-wall packed. Do you know how many of those people Ray offended with the gospel? <laughs> they were everywhere in the room. But he had this strange ability to aff- let the gospel offend you while he loved on you and engaged you in a way that you felt his care. Now, the gospel is offensive by nature. The gospel starts off telling you, can I just start this conversation by telling you, you are in the wrong place. You need to get right with God. You are not good enough. I mean, the gospel doesn't, it's like, wait, whoa, everything you just said offended me. I thought I'm pretty good. I'm okay. The gospel is offensive by nature. But going to people in a way that is caring for them, I mean, that's something to learn, right? And and every one of these things, I, I see Ray in these things. I mean, just walk through them real quickly. Going means participating in the priority of making disciples 
means participating. It, this means knowing and sharing the gospel. Right? Not just having a testimony that you can remember when your life was a mess. Now it's not a mess and Jesus got involved and they go to church a little bit. No, no, no. Do you know the gospel? Can you explain the atoning work of Jesus Christ on behalf of all of humanity? So that you just don't hear people with this nebulous sense of good versus bad with Jesus stuck in there. And you don't hear, that's not the gospel. But for you to know that, you'd actually have to study the gospel and read the Bible carefully and hear what it actually says. That would take some doing. Sharing the gospel. Not just being a person who the gospel's come to you, but that you go to others with the gospel. You sit down with them individually. You're able to take a person with no knowledge of God and bring them to a place where they can make a decision in faith to entrust their lives to Christ. You don't need this meeting to do that. You don't need an alpha meeting to do that. You just, that's just part of who you are. You go. This going means prayer and financial support of the church and its associated missions into the world. We go and we give. We go and we pray for the mission that God's doing around us. This going means living like a pilgrim who's just passing through and whose heart is set on a kingdom that is not of this world. It's very hard to be in a world that needs to be rescued when we're so interwoven in it that we look like we need to be rescued. We're just as unhappy about everything everybody else is unhappy about. We want the things that they want and our lives will be fixed by exactly what fixes them and and we don't have any joy until that stuff shows up in our world too. Instead of being pilgrims who are just passing through, whether I've got this stuff or not, my home is somewhere else and the destiny of my life is about something else. Going means venturing into the interests and needs that lie beyond yourself. Going means bearing one another's burdens. Right, this, we go as a community, by the way. Right, God designed churches to go that have individuals in it. But we're churches. We're a community. We're a living demonstration of the kingdom of God on earth. So we make room for each other in our lives. We bear one another's burdens. We serve one another and fulfill the law of Christ. Right, this, I hear this from pastors everywhere. Uh, I've seen it in our own midst. I've heard it from some of our own people. This overburdened, exhaustive lifestyle that we've created, it's leaving less and less room in it for each other. The one another dimensions, we just don't have any room for that anymore. I've got so much other stuff. You know, when I sit with some folks, and I have in the last year, and I've heard people who have been a part of the church who describe going through moments in their life where it was really hard or they hit a place and, and, and they, thought, they thought what they've learned here and what they've been a part of in the past was a people who rallied into their need. In the last few years, there wasn't rallying. So I've had more than one people tell me this. And there's a sense now that they're managing that, hey, you know, we we preach something up here that's really high about this fellowship thing and our commitment to one another and who we are to each other. But I kind of went through this alone. Nobody kind of showed up in my space. And I know that's more and more prevalent because all of us would say, I've got less and less time available. 
But going means I may have to, you know, take a few stories off my own Empire State Building to give me an ability to leave my own territory to enter yours and to let your issues show up in my life. Going means getting messy. If you get around people, you're going to get messy, right? If you think you've come to the church where everybody's got all this righteousness and sanctification stuff down just right, so that's why I'm in this church, um... Well, I can tell you a bunch of people in here to avoid then. Because there's a bunch of people in this room right now. They're messy. If you get in their world, they're messy. Uh, they bite you when you get into their situations. They don't respond in exactly the same way. And you thought their mess was two layers deep until you got around them. And, you, and it's like they've gone subterranean. They're all over the place deep with mess. But we're called to that, Right? Go, go into these messes. It means being inconvenienced. So much of the Christian life and its calling of going is inconvenient. It's inconvenient to go on a missions trip. It's inconvenient to, to, to be uh, cleaning up messes in the Bahamas or going to orphans in, in a place. It's inconvenient to hang out door hangers. It's inconvenient to just be available. It's probably inconvenient to be here this morning. I mean, you could be at Sam's right now doing your weekly shopping. Right now you're wondering, I know, I need to get there. (laughs) When are you going to (laughs) finish? Jesus highlighted something about this mission that we're on when he prayed for us. Right, This is really the Lord's Prayer. A lot of people mislabel the Lord's Prayer. John chapter 17 is really the Lord's Prayer. This is what Jesus interceded for us about. Eric, you can come back up here wherever you are. Listen to this. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. All right, that's a purpose, right? Whatever we do in life, whatever our doing is about, it's for God to be glorified. Verse two, since you have given him authority over all flesh, this is how Jesus speaks about his authority all the time. To give eternal life to whom you have given him. Verse 6. I have manifested your name. Right? This is what we do. We, we go and we manifest the name of God. We go into people's lives and we bring the image of God into that setting. We go into lost ideas and we bring the message of the gospel into that setting. To the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they are and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. Do you know Jesus pulls that kind of stuff off? I don't know if you want to take him to court or not. But he's not praying for everybody the same way. But for those whom you have given me. Look in verse 20. I do not ask for these only. But also for those who will believe in me. Through their word. I'm praying uniquely for the church. Do you know why? Because this unique gathering has a mandate on it that's different than everybody else in the world. You know, God's not sitting in heaven waiting for lost people and and Muslims to go make disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. He is waiting for the church to do that. That going belongs to us. Just, Just think, before I came to Christ... 
I was not thinking about that mandate. I was not living for it. I was not making any room for it. I was going to read no books about it. I was not going to become more acquainted with the scriptures. I would study no apologetics. And I would definitely have no meetings with anybody that was about sharing the gospel with them. So guess what that did for me? It left more room in my life for me. And then I go and become a Christian. And now, I've got this other responsibility. Which means I've got less room in my life. Listen, you and I can't run at the pace the world runs at. Let me give you two obvious reasons why. Because the world doesn't give 10% of what it gets to the kingdom of God. So you can build a little bigger world with 10%, can't you? And the world doesn't live to pray, intercede, fellowship with other believers, build them up in strength, and go into all the world to make disciples. The world doesn't do that. So they can go to more movies than you can go to. They can travel more than you can travel. They can do a lot of things that you are going to end up not having room for. Are you okay with that? Because if you're not you probably will figure out, I'm really not going anywhere. We're different. Jesus prayed for us. He recognized we were going to be different. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, right? There's the going. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me. Has anybody bumped into this reality that it it takes some going, it takes some labor, it takes some doing to walk in unity with other people? Has anybody else besides me encountered that? To work, work at being in godly relationships with each other. Work. Is that a curse word? Effort, sweat, labor, striving. Because in God's economy, that is a precious commodity. Because the ability for us to love the way God loves one another and walk in unity in the same purpose with one another enables the world to believe that God sent the Son. That's what that verse says. That they may believe. Listen, we cannot be people. I don't want to put forth the effort to put up with your weirdnesses. So I'm going to go to another church. Or I don't want to be married to you anymore because I don't feel like working at this thing. It's just not easy enough. And I want easy. I love that rest word. I want easy. Can I just tell you rest and easy are not the same words. What we're called to is a life of rest that involves work and activity. And sweat and toil and laying your life down and bloodshed. And this is what Jesus prayed for us. Notice this is not God... Let them just be safe. Let them never be stretched. Let them never face any difficulties. Let them never be in a place where they don't know what to do. It's none of those things. It's work, but it's it's rest. We come to Jesus 
And we go on a mission for him. So this kind of activity doesn't say, well, then I guess the rest thing's out the window. Two last things there. Going means following Jesus into activity and callings that you feel inadequate for. That can feel very agitating, very awkward, but, but we're called to that. And the last thing, going means send, stewarding your time, your energy, and your resources for the sake of the kingdom of God. And this is what it looks like to go. I know these, these are big topics, and I just kind of ran this one into the tail end of our series here. But I just want us to, I, I, I want us to see going into the purposes of God is not a problem. It's not what's exhausting us. It's not at odds with us finding rest. It's, it's part of us finding rest, living in God's purpose. From Eden all the way to Revelation is part of our finding the right place in God's purpose. That's true for each of us here today so let me pray for us in just a moment you guys can stand up with us let's pray about this going dimension of our lives all right in just a minute i'm going to want the lord to, to minister to some folks here who are exhausted You feel right now in your life, you feel exhausted. So if that's kind of how you're feeling in your life, in your walk, just a moment. God, I think God wants to meet with you this morning. But let me go back to the group that I mentioned earlier, that, that maybe on a daily basis you are not concerned or consumed with the idea that everybody needs to hear the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to this world to restore human beings to God. And, and maybe that's not something that's inside of you. Listen, this going of the gospel, sometimes it's about it coming to you. The gospel comes to you. The gospel comes to you and says God created you with a purpose in your life. You have a magnificent purpose that God created. The bad news is sin stepped into that creation and twisted, mangled, and distorted everything about the purpose that any human being would ever have. And man had no way to fix that. So God stepped in and fixed it. He sent his own son. God himself came in the form of a man lived a perfect life and died a death that was a punishment for sin and its guilt in order to forgive all of humanity who would receive his grace and be restored to God now can I just tell you that's, a, that's an incredible story but it's not your story until you respond to that story until you tell God, I want that to be my son. Matter of fact, God, I want you to know I believe that. I believe that about Jesus Christ. And I, and I believe I need to be restored to you. I believe that. And I want that. And you tell God that. And you pray and you ask God for that. That's when that becomes yours. Not just knowledge about it, but it really becomes yours. 
So can I just pray for you if you're here this morning and you want that to be your story. You just want it to be a story. You want it to be your story. Let's just, let's just bow our heads for a moment. You, you get a moment with God here just for a moment. We just pray. If I'm, if I'm you, I'm coming to this place for the first time. This is, these are some words that I might say to God. You can say them if these are your words. God, I need you. And I understand that I need to be restored to you. I understand sin has touched all of the world, including me. I have sinned. But today I understand as well that Jesus came to forgive me of my sins. To remove those sins. To restore me to God. Well, today I want that restoration. I want you to forgive me. I open my heart, I open my life to you. I ask you to come. Come take up your life in me. Come give me your life. Come lead me. I want to follow you from this day forward. I want to follow you. I want you to lead me. In Jesus' name. Well, Lord, I want to pray for us as a church. Lord, you you care about the fact that there are some here this morning who feel exhausted. They They don't feel encouraged. They don't feel emboldened. They don't feel like there's anything left in them to take one more step in the things that you have put in their lives. Lord, I believe you want to meet with them. You want to care for their souls. But I believe the God who invites us to find rest is concerned that we find rest. So Lord, would you call out some folks that are here this morning? God, would you help them to not feel condemned because they're exhausted, but just to feel honest with you. To make room for you to show up in their exhaustion. For you to impart. For you to give grace. For you to give strength. For you to lead in this moment. I believe that, you know, if you're here and you're feeling as off, I, I want God to minister to you. So I'm going to ask you to come, find a place up here to pray. If that describes where you are, you're just exhausted. You're a follower of Christ and you feel exhausted. Let God come near to you this morning. Let him care for you this morning. I had an impression for a couple of categories of folks. One would be parents who are here who feel exhausted. You're Fulfilling this role that God has called you to has has felt more burden than it is more grace-filled. 
more fearful than faith-filled? God wants to minister to some parents who are here who just feel exhausted in what God's called you to. Look, there are some marriages, some husbands and some wives who are in a place they just, they just feel exhausted. Some of you who especially you've been fighting for good in your relationship. Maybe it's been years you've been fighting and praying and fighting and praying and you, just, you feel exhausted by seeking to make your marriage work work through difficulties if God wants to give grace to you and meet you in what feels exhausting and the other category was for some seniors who are here that you just you feel, feel it hard to get motivated every day each day starting to feel like what am, I, what am I here for again? Why am I still here? Things have gotten very familiar. Things don't feel as attractive as they once did. And just daily existence feels hard to get motivated day to day. I believe God wants to meet you and give grace to you. So if you're in any of those categories, or if God is speaking into your exhaustion wherever it is can you just just come forward and let's let's meet with god let's give god an opportunity to impart something into your life to start something that begins today and shows up tomorrow and next week and you're gonna you're gonna notice it you know why you're gonna notice it because you didn't half listen to what i'm telling you to do right now and just warn you if you're half listening and god shows up on tuesday or wednesday you're more than likely gonna miss him so part of what we do here is we just, we learn to hoist an antenna to God and say, God, I'm just listening for you. I'm looking for you to show up, come over the hill and bring your grace into my life. And so I'm going to see it when it comes. I'm going to recognize you moving on my behalf when God meets you. So if, if exhausted is what you've been feeling like, come receive grace. Jesus invites us to find rest. So if you guys are prayer team members or would like to come and pray for these guys, just come ask the Holy Spirit to help you to know how to pray for them as you pray for them. Seek God's grace and words for them. Eric's going to close us with a song and we just let these guys spend their time just lingering here. And then you guys will be dismissed when Eric finishes.